0: Welcome to the SaaS Brand Strategy Show. We help you sell things up and down. It's semi, right? What do you reckon? That's $5. I think
1: think we're going to actually cancel any other intros. We're just going to take that clip. Do we have your permission to just use that as our intro (laughs) going forward?
0: Yeah, I, I I was nervous that you were about to say we're going to cancel this interview now because we're so turned on. We've got to leave the Zoom and do so something it about on. it. on. it's
1: too romantic. Late night jazz radio host. We can't handle it. We can't handle it, Mark.
0: I love it. All right.
1: How are you, man? Tell us. By the way. Yeah. Thanks for being here. It's a blast to have you. Uh, Mark uh, is from Sweathead. Uh, Mark's the author of Strategies, Is Your Words. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, do you any injustices, Mark. If you want to tell the people a little bit about yourself, if they don't know who you are.
0: That's the most horrifying question that I had to start working out how to answer when I moved to New York. I've been here 12 years and you get all these freaking meetings and everyone's like, let's go around the table and do a fun fact. Talk about yourself. yourself." (laughs) Yeah. 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 that's just like pulling out a taser and being like, let's find like the weirdest, <laughs> most awkward introverted person and go, would not you tell the room about yourself? I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. what to say. <laughs> and all you Americans, all of you, all 300, was it, 80 million, 60 million, whatever. But like you that. all have these personal scripts and stories. You get taught from the age of two and three, and you're also good at it. And us <laughs> Aussies come over, and we're like, Oh, well, I don't know. I do strategy Next.
2: <laughs> ah. Totally. Well, that's what I say. I'm a brand strategy guy. Like totally, no. I do brand strategy for SaaS startups. That's an acceptable answer.
0: I bet you got fun facts though. Oh, I got fun things. <laughs> <That's>
2: the... <laughs> I just,
3: I just say I'm a skier. Just stick yeah. with, stick with what I'm passionate about.
2: So yeah. I'll give, I'll yeah. give Mark an intro, just because he's been on my radar for a long time. Um, He's kind of the, the strategy whisperer for strategists. Um, he just brings clarity to what can be a real um, semantic laden, like muddy um, profession, if you want to call it that. And he's kind of been a coach and of service to the entire international strategy community, helping us realize like how we do, what we do, why it's important and why it's valuable and kind of deal with a lot of the mental Gymnastics—we're always dealing with and trying to bring some some insight or something of uh, remarkable value into this. These usually heavy business conversations. So, um, I've always gotten a ton of value just out of the structure and the framework, but also the insights and the experience that he's had, and uh, and his uh, he shares a ton. He's always here to help the the collective and help move the profession forward um, and he's one of my he's my second favorite australian after uh, nick cave so how's that uh,
0: that was super generous I, I, yeah, yeah. can we end the interview now on yeah, that yeah yeah Bef-
2: before <laughs> before you fail to meet expectations because i know he's not going to go there so i'll just that's that's why he's always on our radar and why we kind of look to him while we're stoked to have him on the show Mark, in the
1: same way that we're gonna play, uh, we're gonna play your new intro for us when you're going around the room with some Americans going forward. Just take that clip that Mike introed you, and you can use that for your
0: anecdote to 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 intro you. Yeah, like who needs artificial intelligence? I'm just gonna throw in Mike from <laughs> just hire just like, hire Mike. Do my fun yeah, facts and yeah. yeah it, it's well, just just on that for anyone who's, who's sort of new to what I, what I do. If I can, is I, I think. As I get older i'm 44 and 45 and what i've been trying to do for a long time i did used to publish a hip hop magazine and i i know a lot of the early hip hop people from minneapolis and things like that like i get around little pockets of, of america in a way which excites me when i visit them so i'm like that's where atmosphere is from oh my god for example wow yeah uh,
1: we do have to well, have a conversation well, uh, about rap mike mark
0: yeah Hey, you know, I got, I got a mixtape from DJ Jaybird before they were even super famous. Wow. So I go, I go back a long way. you know Jay I go back Bird. to scapegoat. Go. I go back to scapegoat by atmosphere, all wow. right? All right?
1: Let's go. Uh,
0: but, but one of the things that I like to do is, is try to make strategy kind of practical, a little bit intellectual, but more fun and games intellectual, very practical. And then the thing that I've really been trying to go hard at for four or five years now, in a way which I stumbled upon, I was nervous about it, is the psychology of the work and the person and the way they work with other people and so that's the venn diagram that that I like to exist in and it's led to do a lot of training conferences events published a book I grew up like I said around hip-hop used to publish a magazine do radio and so I'm a bit used to put up posters in the middle of the night and I've kind of just I, I did five six years in corporate America and I was like I'm not this <laughs> and and, I, and I'm like what was I when I was more alive and i've just been dragging all of that stuff into my 40s to the point where it's kind of fulfilling and it's a little bit it's a little bit different and always happy to hear that some of it affects affects people because as you all know when you put stuff online whether it's a podcast or a social post it's weird it's it's like you've got a limb that's in a different time zone and someone touches it and you're like well oh yeah oh yeah i did that but in the moment it's just you kind of trying to process what's in your head and your feelings so
1: Mike said why we have Mark on is because Mark is a strategist that we enjoy and admire and, and, you know, is, is, is in an adjacent, uh, or I mean, similar field to us. Um, and Mark and I had an exchange on Twitter the other day that kind of prompted us to coin a concept and then want to have a further conversation about it. So I think that's what we kind of want to do today beyond everything we've done so far is to kind of talk about that exchange and then, and, and kind of break it down a little bit. So Mark, you you threw a thread out there that I responded to. Can you you know you you said five reasons that working in house can feel less creative, having consulted, trained, and spoken with hundreds of people who do strategy work in house. Can you just kind of summarize your thoughts on that thread a little bit, or kind of like where your head was at, and then I can kind of I can kind of jump into where I what I what I latched onto from that maybe.
0: Yeah, for sure. So the context for all of this is roles like strategy or it was originally called account planning and advertising born in the UK a bit over 50 years ago those roles were mostly in a few advertising agencies in a few major cities that spoke English you know we're talking London New York Chicago a bit of LA maybe San Francisco Australia Uh, Australia's not a city etc but like these these roles there weren't that many of them and they were only in a few places now as, as agencies especially advertising agencies have expanded into holding companies and then gone global those roles have expanded through the world and then as especially like silicon valley tech companies started to bring strategy and creative teams in-house You've got more of these roles than ever before, more strategy roles than ever before, and creative roles than ever before, in more places than ever before. And yet, I speak with hundreds of people a year. A lot of them are struggling to feel desired, respected, to do good work. And then there's research that comes out from various companies showing that a lot of advertising, and I'm going to use that word as broadly as possible to incorporate not marketing, because advertising is a sub-subset of marketing, promotions, one of the Ps, but that advertising... You know these roles are in more places than ever before, but a lot of people are struggling, and that struggle can really cause a sense of crisis. It can affect personal relationships, marriages, interactions with kids, because this, the job of the strategist and and also the creative, it's it's all encompassing. It's your life. You don't usually work Monday to Friday. Maybe as you get older, you have better boundaries. But Saturday morning, you're taking your kid to swim school and you're like, oh, i got this idea. Boom, and you got to go write it up. Or you might have to not go to swim school because you're pitching or you, you're you're on deadline. And so I just wanted to drop a few, I guess, I'll call them truth bombs, bombs, loving truth bombs about uh, working in a house and why it feels less creative. And they're really things like, you know, the psychology of large companies, from what I understand, it's, it's more conservative. It takes creative people to grow companies, conservative people to run companies. There's a little mm-hmm. bit of research out there about that. Uh, a lot of the in-house work that, that I hear about is the work of politics. So I know that some people have gone from an agency to a marketing team and they, and they love it, but they have to work the room a lot more. Uh, And then often what I've seen is that creative minds and I'll put strategists in that they often report to the wrong people. And so I guess in the B2B SaaS world, I train a lot of people. I get around a lot, and it's not to criticize anywhere, anywhere, or anyone. But often, the wrong people are writing creative briefs, or the wrong people are managing a brand. It could be a product manager who's super logical, not a, not really much of a critical thinker, or at least not much of a creative critical thinker. They're writing the creative brief, and they bring a sense of arrogance with them because they're well educated. They had an expensive education, and then I'll read it. I'm like, okay. First of all, it's a one page template. You've turned it into a ten page document. And none of it makes sense. It's all big words that nobody would use in public. And yet you're going to struggle to take that feedback on. I don't talk like this, by the way. And <laughs> so it's just all this. It doesn't need to be like this. We're squandering human potential. Uh, and in the most capitalistic country in the world, if you squander human potential, you squander capitalism a little bit. So that's really where this all starts.
1: Yeah, that's great. I think that's a really good summary. Go ahead, Mike.
2: Uh <clears throat> Bringing this into B2B SaaS, Mark, and your idea, like the creative people create the companies. Like, do we feel like that's true within B2B SaaS that the startup, the founders, are they usually creative people? Or are they usually product focused? Can they be both? Like that's kind of an interesting dynamic.
0: Yeah. So creativity, if I paraphrase Edward de Bono, best in peace, is lateral thinking. Lateral thinking crosses lateral cross across crosses topics and crossing topics ideas and lateral thinking introduce new meaning to the world so at the very least in that small c creative way anybody who starts a business with a novel product is small c creative okay just because you do arts doesn't mean you get to monopolize the word creative most entrepreneurs are going to have a sense of creativity in them whether it's how they do deals what contracts they want to sign how they bring people on full-time part-time or we put you off on a boat offshore so that we can you know i don't know hack the system a little bit there's creativity in all of these things and and i think as, as an industry or just as humans we're richer in acknowledging that there's that kind of creativity which is different from being a graffiti artist in Minneapolis in 1995, for example. And so I would would say by default, yeah, I would imagine CEOs and people who create B2B SaaS companies would need to have some kind of nugget of creativity and restlessness together and and intelligence and ability to explain their ideas. So eloquence. And without those things, you don't have a company.
2: The eloquence thing is interesting. That's kind of – we've been pulled into – a couple of engagements where people don't have funding yet and it's because they're product focused um, and they don't have the ability or the words or the confidence to be able to tell and sell their story. And so we're able where we get plugged in to kind of just, just um, pull it out of them. They have the, we, we always tell them, you guys have the word, you guys, you guys know the answer. You just don't have the words. So we're able to give them words, but it's like that, that, Eloquence is, I think, what's usually missing. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. In a lot of the engagements that we go in, because they're so centered on the, um, the the category conventions that they all have to say and sell the same thing, that they get they lose any differentiation. They're just kind of like doing what everybody else is doing.
1: Well, and I think that point exactly goes to your point as well, Mark, about the concept of being conservative. It takes being conservative to run a company because part of your job running a company is to manage risk. And I think by the very nature of creative endeavor, lateral thinking, new ideas, new things is there is risk inherent to them. And so as a, as a runner of a company, you have to manage that risk. And I think like that was actually kind of what I latched onto about your post Mark was that it feels like there's this, there's this schism between we want the results of something that is new and creative because we have a, we have at least a conceptual understanding that new creative things introduce new and better results. And yet we want the ROI of the proven, the solid, the dependable, the ROI calculator, the conservative component, the the, the we want to manage risk component. Um, and that's a, what I refer to as the have your cake and eat it too paradox, which you much more eloquently to the word simplified into the cake paradox, right? This idea that um, that there is that that tension internally always of we want something new. And yet something new is risky and so where do we how do we fight that fight i guess
0: yeah and there's something in what we're discussing i just want to shout it out that some of this is sort of in the shadow of clayton christensen's work the innovators dilemma right which i did look at some b2b companies and you know i think ibm's in their kodak it's from the 1970s and the main thing that i took out of that book is that it's hard for big companies to evolve largely because their existing clients or customers bought them as they used to be a while ago mm. hence all the sky works stuff you know, hence, you know let's create a little subdivision it can create its own culture which is super important that culture can hopefully create its own ideas your revenue streams if it's successful great that's a great problem to have do we spin it back in do we sell it off or the acqui type of thing right but the, the sort of the, the paradoxes within this cake paradox, uh, big companies and the people in big companies typically are not, I, from my experience, are not going to be high in openness. One of the big five personality traits, ocean, O-C-E-A-N, openness is you know, often the first one we talk about. Being high on openness means you are novelty-seeking, variety-seeking. In a small way, it can mean that you want to go to a different restaurant every week, right? Or you don't like sitting in the same place on the plane or in the cinema. It's little things like that that Mm -hmm. this stuff comes to life. Most people who can survive corporate environments, I mean, it's not like they're going to art galleries all the time. It's not like they're necessarily reading novels all the time, going to stand-up comedy. A lot of them are very rigid, concrete thinkers, which is what that business needs from them. So there's like there's a paradox within the paradox immediately yeah okay then you get the challenge of introducing something new and the need is as storytellers to introduce something new in a way that's familiar because again small c conservative minds are wired for things that are out of order because they're wired to conserve order to conserve status quo so again little things a doubt out about this but apparently a lot of this is not everyone in business right but a lot of people who are very, very conservative they feel disgust in a strong way to the point where sometimes smells will annoy they'll be like, what's that smell I don't like that right uh so there's all these little other dynamics going on familiarity is useful in explaining in, in explaining topics but then there's like the silly thing that we've been infatuated with data 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 however you want to say it for a good decade now is that a data-driven insight and then can you prove that this is going to work Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and powerful people ask these questions without realizing how stupid those questions are (laughs) my strategy joke for is that a data-driven insight or did you make it up the answer is yeah I could take a quote from you right now. That's a piece of data. Right. It's not a statistic, a pre testing right. statistic. Right. The word blue, I put it in Excel. The word blue is a piece of data. And then this whole like, we've got to prove it. I was, I just, I tapped out. I couldn't deal with that in corporate America. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make my own reality rather than tell you that that reality is going to happen. Cause guess what? Even your management consultants can't do that. Mm. The cake paradox. There you go. what do you you all what do you all think I mean you're in this space B2B B2B marketers tend to be a little bit more bureaucratic and conservative in my experience uh often they have struggled the ones that I've worked with struggle to realize it's not just about product that there are humans at the end of the product and that humans have emotions even if they dress in business suits like what do you feel are some of the dynamics around this paradox wanting to sell something in that's new or asking for something that is new but then being immediately repulsed by the novelty of it yes
3: we um yeah we continually are just confronted with the fact that you know they're infatuated with their product as you mentioned and what's happened over the past 10 years is there there is no product differentiation in software anymore there's seven thousand products in the martech category alone so your software does the exact same thing as somebody else's and the only way you're selling it in is if you can lead people to an outcome that they see themselves wanting. And so that's like the biggest challenge we have, even if it's a fresh startup. Occasionally work with people who are doing something nobody else is doing, but it's a limited time offer. Somebody will copy them. Um, and so that's that's kind of like the biggest uh, first hurdle We have to tell them. It's like, that's not, that's not differentiated. They're like, no, we do it like this. That's different. It's like, no, that's a comparison. That's just better. And so like getting people to true different is a, is a pretty big hurdle. And even Correct. if we yeah. land there, there the, the, the prove it thing that you said, we've had that exact thing said to us. How are you going to prove it?
0: <laughs> yeah. But because but I, I remember listening to one of your episodes where you talked about uh, differentiation and I think distinctiveness as well. But this is the one of the things that I learned as a grown-up, that differentiation matters less than I was taught it. That, like how you say... But what you say about how you're different as a brand matters less than having distinctive brand assets, logos, sounds, maybe smells, characters, evolving storylines, and bringing them to life in front of people all the time and trying to reach the whole category all the time. You know, B2B, I think, because of all the data and CRM, it's like oh, one by one. And yeah, you might have to play a one by one game, but you've also got to get in front of people in a big way. You know, like Salesforce, they they take over San Francisco. That's a huge, conspicuous brand appearance so but yeah differentiation is one of those things where i've I've learned shifted learned over the years because i was a bit not zealot not a zealot but like how are we different would have been something we'd ask in every kind of workshop whereas now i'm like i want to say it differently but how are we distinctive i guess i would lead with
3: mm-hmm. yeah we tie it to like a differentiated point of view so it's because so there's, there's yeah. not actually yeah. differentiation and so you have to have a point of view that aligns to the outcome your customers want and that is like the gnarly work well, that we do where <laughs> we've come up with that.
0: Well, let's, let's let's talk about you and the work that you do and we'll try to keep the cake paradox in mind. Sorry for taking over the interview. No, go.
3: Discussion.
1: In, in the last
0: <laughs> year or two, I was head of strategy of an 800 person agency and in PR and they, you know, PR came up with PR platforms, brand platforms and there were obviously B2B clients there. And one of the things I struggled with is there seemed to be this weird game where the B2B platform needed to be these big words that pretended they were saying something, but I would stare at them and I'm like, I don't know what these words <laughs> mean. Yeah. Is this your like what what is that? Is it is it just because like what's what's that? That needs a name. Like when you you know you're obfuscation,
2: and... there's a big word, <laughs> yeah, a obfuscation. Of...
0: But, but... But the paradox there <laughs> is it's obfuscation while trying to build a brand that gets attention and is sexy. It's like sexy obfuscation, you know? Sexy obfuscation.
2: Like, what well, it's, what's dude? that? Was it the Twain quote? Like don't use a t- 10 cent word. I can't remember the, the economics of it, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. like when people overwrite, it means they don't really have anything meaningful to say. They're like, they're, they're masking something. If you feel like you have to use really big words to explain a simple, um uh idea, then then the idea actually isn't as simple as it needs to be yet. So I always feel like people are being defensive when they're overwriting. That's just my that my two cents on that stuff. Um and th- the more simple you can be, the more the easier it is to understand, to digest, and to repeat. So by using big words, you're kind of eliminating all that stuff and people aren't able to tell and tell the story for you that you just you that idea just lives in one place and it's not going to spread.
3: We do make up words, So we are part of the problem, but we know when we know ours works is when the customers use it to tell and sell the story of the company. So like we have two yeah. pretty good examples, like worked with these guys from Palantir. They're in the finance team. Palantir built this insane finance system that every business needs. These kids, they they left and built it and they're in finance. We're like, well, what, what is this? And it's like, oh, it enables finance to be strategic. It's a strategic finance platform. And that, that's, Everybody in finance started using that word. Everybody wanted to be strategic. We nailed the outcome they wanted. We nailed the words. And now strategic finance is has 7,000 people with its job title on LinkedIn. So like that's when you know that you made something up, but that it was needed to be birthed versus we won't go into the examples where we've done it, and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. what is the with that? it
2: was Dave Trot where somebody it said, um, make the new feel familiar and make the familiar feel new. That that kind of balance of like, oh, I think I've heard that before. And that's making the new feel familiar. And that's kind of that sweet spot we aim for when we are inventing new words. It's not so far out there, but it's it's rooted in something that already exists.
0: And yeah, I, I think Dustin, you're going to stop at the insane financial platform. I was like, that's brave. I like that. <laughs> <The insane. laughs> Hey, yeah, maybe, no. maybe that is the word that connects with that. No, well, I... Um... Just, uh, Go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, just one other thing to note out about as, as we're talking about words. Somebody, his name's Rob, was so, super kind because he knew I was writing a book about words. And he sent me this research, uh, linguistic research, about monogamous words. And it's so important. And this will support your point, Mike. The brain is more likely to remember... A monogamous word. What's a monogamous word? It's a word that doesn't cheat. What does that mean? It's a word that doesn't have many synonyms. So, for example, Mm. pineapple, it's my favorite. Pineapple is, I say pineapple, we're pretty much all thinking of the fruit. Yeah, you might have an in joke or you might use it in slang, right? Ironically, a lot of the words we would all use in strategy and in the creative world, like concept, execution, and empowerment. You can't wrap your head around them. They're what I would call cloudy words. Mm. And I I just think it's it's, an easy way to improve your writing is to think about words that don't cheat, words that you can see and making sure that each sentence has one of them, especially a brand platform or a single-minded proposition. It's probably the easiest way to fix your strategy. That
3: was a good nugget. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. I've never heard of it. (laughs) Good (laughs) (laughs) nug.
1: Good nugget. Uh, I've I've never heard it referred to like that. I think it's interesting. There's there's an interesting duality to that. You know, when Mike says, um, "Well, I, Dustin said, brings up you know strategic finance and the mosaic folks." It's interesting because, like, on the surface, I think of strategic finance as being like actually completely non-monogamous words because, like, strategic finance could, I think, hypothetically, mean a lot of things. But I also find that to be really interesting strategically and. To go maybe back a little bit to the cake paradox, you know, Mark, a concept you brought up was like people asking, is it going to work? Right? When you bring, when you introduce this concept, is it going to work? Is it going to be effective? I want the proven, the proof points that the thing that we're about to embark on is going to be effective. And I think part of what's interesting about coming up with language like that and bringing it to the market is also that sometimes it's your job to imbue the meaning that you intend upon those words and your job to build the, Build the sort of the the definition of what you are referring to in the market if you are going to choose to use non-monogamous language at maybe a high level, if that makes sense.
0: Like it's a responsibility
1: yeah, so. of you as a, as a as a business. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, let, let's. I want to talk about how like the question is going to work in a second because I, that gives me an excuse to talk about Instagram meme accounts and stand-up comedians, which are two things I love to talk about. But like, get <laughs> I, I it. The big words. I think you've got to be very careful with double entendres and multiple meanings. And you know, I, I, you know, I've been in meetings where we're working on a creative brief, and we would come up with like a sentence. You're like, "Oh, we could use that in two or three ways." Mm. I would suggest that that weakens the message actually. Sure. Like, you might get an intellectual kick from it. You're like, "Oh, we're so smart," but then you go brief the creative team, and they go, "Well, in what way did you mean how, this?" Yeah, you're like, oh, you okay, us use it? "Oh, Let's back out of that then, and just have a clear word." So mm. again, for the creative brief writers or the people putting brand architecture together that's that's not a win i, I think it, it weakens it now is it, is it going to work you know i, I just interviewed a, a, a creator of a hilarious and a hilarious instagram account called agency props you know some of their videos get two hundred thousand, a million views and he works with his partner quite a lot like stand-up comedians because pre-testing is difficult and then a lot of companies aren't set up for you to launch something in a small way and then if it works to put bigger money behind it you know a lot of companies just they're not built for that a lot of agencies aren't built for that even though a lot of us have been talking about that stuff for 10 plus years now and what he does is he he gets an idea together with his partner for a post and then he'll, he'll send it to his friends in a group chat and they'll be like that's funny it's not funny very similar to what stand-up comedians do, where they they write intuitively. They're constantly, quote-unquote, researching, just not in a formal way, because they're observing the world. They get a five-minute set together, or, or however long it is. Many of them, in their minds, have an idea of how many laughs they want per minute.
2: Mm.
0: It's the thing. And then they practice it in public, in the wild, and they record themselves. And they listen back and see how many laughs there are. And then they improve it i think b2b world is probably the worst at this for a few reasons one is take themselves too seriously most brands are boring yeah. way too serious and the ones that stand out are the ones that are hilarious you know uh two is most b2b brands are so bureaucratic that they can't work in a free way you know what let's post 20 things to the internet this week and let's make them funny or we'll have like a point of view in them and then two of them will turn into a a LinkedIn carousel and one of those will turn into a brochure and if that does well we'll turn it into an event you know like sure. it's just not the way that the departments and silos are set up but it's, it's just not the culture mm-hmm. but that's that's where this stuff comes to life and I, I, I like when someone says is it gonna is it gonna work and I, it hurts that question hurts me yeah because it makes me feel pathetic it's like been doing this for ages and you can ask me if it's going to work we've got some data from here here and here but we can't predict the future mckinsey can't predict the future like how do you do that when someone says is this going to work how do you give them the confidence
2: well isn't that like so to go to your definition which we borrow on what is strategy and educated opinion about how to win isn't that the confidence to be able to there, there has to be trust in the person that's delivering their strategy that they've done diligence that they have experience and that they're bringing in uh, this informed opinion based on all this information that's out there It distilled down as only a human can into something that's actionable and insightful and kind of ownable, if you will. So this whole idea of how do you know it's going to work? Well, it's like, I'm an expert. I'm a professional. I had a a uh, buddy who's a development, a freelance development guy, um, super successful doing development for hospitals and universities and things like that. And he went to a board meeting and the, the board, one of the board chairs said like, so are you going to bring people with you? You're just going to show up with the money, right? Like, you know, all the money people like, you know, he's like, no, I'm not, that's not what I do. He's <laughs> like, well, why are we paying you? And he said, because I'm a professional. <laughs> <It's just> like because <laughs> I know how this works, and I've done it a hundred times and I've got the results on the back end to show for it. And so this, I think that's the thing. It's like there has to be that trust factor. like you're doing due diligence, you're really applying all these as tangible as these frameworks can be and as as um, as concrete as the insights, if you will, and I know that's a slippery word um, can be that it's going to actually lead to something that's ownable and defensible and scalable and that nobody else is going to be doing.
0: Yeah. But does that, does that work? Cause I, I, I bet in B2B, I've worked in B2B healthcare consumer, all kinds of spaces. A lot of business, a lot of businesses are conservative, as we mentioned earlier, but worse than that, a lot of them are suspicious of, possibly scared of possibly resentful of people who are creative, Like they mm-hmm. mock them. They literally yeah. mock them. You're the, you're the, pictures people the words and pictures people for example and we're going to make you feel like a baby all the time because you're a child you don't get to have opinions about business capital b business so i'm an expert does that work
2: i'm not saying it works i'm some kind (laughs) of like i'm like reaching for something yeah that this idea of um This, I I don't know. I don't have a clean answer for that. I think I'm looking for the answer for that because we run into this all the time and we put new ideas out there.
0: How do you you all test your brand platforms or positionings or whatever strategy, technology jargon you use? But how how do you quote unquote test them?
3: Well, we do the customer research to come up with the answer and then work with the team and you take it to market. And that's like the, the rub. And I was curious, Mark, if you experienced this the the company's usually ill-equipped, especially when working with startups, to actually implement the strategy we've given them. And so how do we make sure it works is we sign another engagement and we implement it for them. Yeah. And if they do that, then we have a high probability of success. If we just give them the framework, um, it's only like a 50% hit rate that they actually implement it.
1: And Mark, you're also talking about a thing I think is that's so crucial is this sort of iterative approach to launching something, you know, like, We still think we come to the right answer 99% of the time via language from, you know, stakeholders, customers, et cetera. But in terms of how you pay it off and how you pay it off in the market, when you talk about, all right, we're going to do 20 of these and then we're going to turn them into five of these and then we're going to turn them into three of these, like that iterative like methodology to presenting strategy, presenting words, I feel like is a thing that to Dustin's point, those teams are just horribly set up for. And are frequently not given permission for the fact that when you say we're going to test 20 things and we're only going to end up using one of them primarily, that team needs to be given permission for 19 things to fail. And I think that's a big part of what I think we would love to see more of is permission for 19 things to fail so that we can get the thing that succeeds, but it requires permission for that many failures to have the thing to to, to work. And, and, and yeah, because think, that's risk, people don't want to give people that permission.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like brands need a showrunner. You know, the way that I understand a showrunner is they have a, a kind of sense of power, but they want to have a, a successful show. That's like a Hollywood thing. You know, most shows have a showrunner. Yeah, I don't think we've got that. I don't think a lot of account directors are set up for that. I think a lot of strategists get tired and they've got to go do the research and put stuff together and they're not thinking necessarily about collaborating, but there, there are two roles actually. There's a showrunner and then having a senior people person who's strategically and creatively respected, whose main job is to help the team work really, really well. And I'm mm-hmm. not talking about a CEO who looks at ideas from the creative team and says, yes, but they're basically the person who wants their team and their client's team to be effective together on mm-hmm. spite of each other. So I think there's kind of two roles that are missing. And then I totally relate to what you're saying. It, it hurts. It hurts because I got to the point a few years into this country where I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't even get creative briefs often to connect with the creative team in a way that I could back home when I mm. was newer to what I was doing, and then when I started my my doing my own brand consulting, I mostly do training now, but I was doing my own brand control consulting. I was like, I just have to detach from the idea that my strategy is going to affect anything that ends up in public, and 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 I don't. I think it's okay to tell this story. Here's an example of of a way that that was actually meaningful. A dear friend. Uh, Mark Cripps was the CMO of The Economist and brought me in to do a little bit of work, had a lot of different information and points of view from different agencies, but just wanted me to help him and his team get something on one piece of paper. The impact I had is he said, I I took that piece of paper to every meeting. Hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really meaningful in a way that I, I couldn't get as, it didn't feel as real and as meaningful, that kind of thing in an agency. Whereas me working with someone like that, knowing that he had this piece of paper printed out, taking it to meetings. I was like, that's, that's really meaningful. But I started to detach myself from the need for the things that I was coming up with to affect anything in public. And at some point I was like, you know, I need more stuff in public. So that has led me to writing books and doing stuff on social media and a podcast. Cause my mm-hmm. needs weren't being fair. Totally fair.
1: I, uh, Man behind the yeah. curtain. Yeah.
3: How was it satisfying? Did you you know you influenced the business you just couldn't see it? Like how did you how did you reconcile that?
0: Yeah. So again, I've worked in Australia and in New York. Australia, short timelines, very aggressive creatively. It's quite alpha. It's physically alpha in a way that I've never felt really in New York unless I'm working in an agency where there are lots of Aussies, Swedes, Brazilians, and Eng- There's a hulkingness to creative departments in Australia, male and female. Uh, whatever gender you identify as Uh, and how I started to reconcile it was it was (laughs) the work that I love the most right now and for a while has been the people work which is where a lot of us net out as we get older
1: Mm.
0: back in Australia I'd be like writing a creative brief I'll have other people input into it We'll talk to the chief creative officer and we're gonna go make a thing in three months. That that was how I that was what I grew up around. That's what I expected. And people were winning can awards they're in their 20s and we just expected high achievement and high expectations and you better compete or you're gonna get mocked. That's what I grew up around. I moved to and I was like, Oh, this is a different game. This is a different game. But the the meaning came from like giving someone else a sense of structure and for that to have been slightly therapeutic to know that there was a sense of relief but also that maybe they were able to make other decisions that I wasn't even connected to or that I even knew about that helped that business do better and that that is super fulfilling it's just I had to wean myself off from that rapid cycle of write a creative brief boom it's in public on television you know because I've I don't have a lot of work that I'm proud of from the U S but a lot of it was people work, but the stuff right. out in public, there's not a lot.
3: I think it's really I... interesting. Cause I was going to say, right. It's cause we, we occasionally have that where the, we do the work and it just, the, these startups, sometimes they change. Like we had a client last year, they like changed their model midway through the project. Yeah. And I've been trying to like reconcile whether that was like, we did, we help them. I think we did but we don't have anything I, to show for it. <laughs> I
1: think a thing I like to think about sometimes is um, not every door opens on the first knock, you know? And if like what you're thinking about is people's brains need to be like exposed to this type of thinking or this way of thinking or this perspective or this point of view, you know, you we might be the first knock or the first two knocks or whatever, but it might take a couple more knocks on that door for them to finally like crack it and go, Oh, this is what they were talking about. And we won't ever get the satisfaction, maybe, of seeing that. But maybe the satisfaction you can boil into like, I pounded good and hard on that door, and whether they chose to open that door is up to them. And, you know, maybe, maybe if I pound two or three times and the door still doesn't open, then I, I can't control whether or not the deadbolt gets slid. But, but maybe one day it will. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's way too, uh, way too lame and, and atmospheric to even like say, but I think, but I think there's something to be said for that. I think people, people, people sometimes change their, change their minds later or, or, you know, I mean, I think, I think in some situations, Dustin, like a leadership team might be exposed to, Hey, we need to think about it this way next time or next year or next season or next quarter or whatever, in a way that, again, we won't be part of, but they'll have been exposed to the thinking and the thinking process in a way that might actually impact their later outcomes or or how they choose to do things even in small ways potentially
0: yeah the, all right it, 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 with 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 startups though I think, I think there's a big issue that a lot of them don't they don't know how to buy receive or implement brand because mm. it kind of connects to this thought that in startup world advertising your product means you're crap and it's not that a lot of startups advertise necessarily you know but but so in my experience a lot of startups don't know what to do with brands so they don't know how to buy it they don't know how to ask for it people would ask me you know we need help with branding and i'm like what do you mean by branding Mm -hmm. Uh, somehow the word strategy will pop up which is why we're talking so then we're going to talk about what all these things mean Mm -hmm. then you get the issue of early stage startups and strong ceos wanting authorship of their thing and so my experience Mm -hmm. was i research i present something back and then a few days later they would have talked to their friends and there's like a three-page email back i've got all these other ideas and i'm like oh my god just, just stop like i gave you a thing it's you know just stop and then they don't know what to do with it because at some point they're like i need a logo and some colors but what is i don't understand what all this has and so startups aren't always you know brand ready which is a great opportunity for people who set up startups who are brand literate you know so you get mm. people like Dollar Shave Club guy who's comedian and writer, etc. He knows what he's doing, you know, who knew what he was doing. It's such, it's light day, you know. Yeah, yeah
3: Liquid like Death is one we reference all the time. They knew what they were doing. They came out with brand first and started selling $4 cans of water. Yeah. They, they now make tea, I saw.
2: Iced tea. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I haven't seen it yet. Of course.
3: I do think, you know, to, not to put too, try to put
1: too fine a point on it, but maybe in a way to bring it a little bit full circle is that I think when you, when we do reference these these brands that are doing it or Mark, to your point, when you, when, you know, you can kind of, you can kind of easily say like, look at how conservative this swath of folks in this category are. You can kind of put them up next to each other. I think one way to kind of get around it or to sell it, you know, is to also say like, here's the risks of not doing something different mm-hmm. is you're going to look like all of that. You know, like point to the things that stand out and say the reason that they're succeeding is because they're standing out and the risks of you not adhering to this strategy, the risks of you not being willing to blaze a trail and try something different is to be lost in the mud with everybody else doing the exact same thing that you're doing, saying the exact same thing you're doing, expressing it in the same conservative ways without any creativity. And I think like highlighting the risk is sometimes more effective with conservative people whose job is risk management to say actually there is risk if we don't do this thing in the same way that yes there is risk if we do
0: the the challenge though as soon as you say the word risk to a conservative person you've stimulated their brain in a way that's not going to be helpful to you yeah but in that conversation you could you could throw in the research about i don't know what the number is it's either 80 to 90 percent of advertising doesn't even get seen let alone remembered Mm. what's the problem with that the point of advertising is to get the brand into the memory, so that when someone has a need and in B two B, that is often a very long cycle. when someone has a need, they think of you. That's it. Yeah. So if your brand is not getting seen or remembered, you're just throwing money away. Yeah, you know. So you got you got to work out how to stand out. Uh, but the word risk got to be careful in introducing that because it, it, there's a there's a paradox there as well. Yeah, I think right. got to rename. I want to immediately rebrand the cake paradox into the cake conundrum. I like alliteration. I like but, it you know, too i like it too i like that
1: i like that we came to like the the last minutes of the show to rename it i think it's absolutely the right decision the cake conundrum it'll be in the it'll be in the top it'll be in the title of the the episode uh mike dustin any last words before i give mark any last words all good could go on
2: forever but i'm just gonna keep my mouth shut
1: yeah all right fair uh Mark, anything you want to send people to, pitch people, tell the people, any closing thoughts from you?
0: Yeah, look, if you're a B2B marketer who's persisted to this point of the conversation (laughs) and you know you want to do more provocative, more memorable work, and you know that when you talk to your clients or customers that you come across weird, interesting things, be there just because the rest of your company finds it weird it doesn't matter but there's there'll be people listening the only person who's going to have listened to this is someone who relates to what i'm saying and the thing is like play that game mm-hmm. the other game is it's a waste of time it's a waste mm-hmm. of time everyone's stand, standing against the wall to see how long they can stand against the wall for mm-hmm. uh but yeah thank you for having me i mean if people want to find me they can go to instagram at mark pollard and there you go that's my shout out to myself hyper promotional yeah.
1: You, des- you deserve a shout out to yourself, Mark. Thanks for being on the show, man. We really appreciate it. It was great chatting with you. Great connecting with you. And uh, yeah, go check out Mark Pollard and Sweathead. Uh, if you liked the episode, share it with somebody you think might also like the episode. If you want to get in touch with us. It's hi at drmg.co. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. And y'all as always have a great week and we will see you next time.